Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. John Fiedler had a better deal than most New York City superintendents. He was the first super for the New York Public Library main branch, the famous Schwartzman Building on 5th Avenue and 42nd Street. Their backyard was Bryant Park. A 1913 article in the New York Times noted that before moving into the library, Fiedler had worked as a merchant man, dabbled in prize fighting, and studied engineering at Harvard. Notably, the 1913 article focused on his new invention, an air purifier that promised to suck everything from arsenic to iron particles out of the air. Our audience loved Kristen O'Donnell Tubbs' wonderful story from her historical fiction book, John Lincoln Clem, Civil War Drummer Boy, so we asked if she would share another story with us. Here she is telling the story of the family that lived in the New York Public Library. Once upon a time, a girl was born inside a library. And not just any library, the New York Public Library. Yep, the big famous building on 5th and 42nd, the one with the lions out front. The date was May 8, 1917. Two French dignitaries happened to be visiting the library that week, Prime Minister René Viviani and Marshal Joseph Joffre. The girl's parents were stumped for a name for their daughter and a guest at the party suggested combining these two dignitaries' names. And so the girl born inside the NYPL became Viviani Joffre 
Fiedler. Viviani was the first daughter and third child of John and Cornelia Fiedler. John Fiedler was hired as the building superintendent when the iconic library was under construction. He, Cornelia, and their two sons, John Jr. and Edward, moved into the library in July 1910, 10 months before the library opened to the public on May 23, 1911. They lived in an eight-room apartment on the mezzanine level of the library. This apartment is where Viviani was born, and she's thought to be the only child ever born inside the building. The footprint of the apartment is still there today. Viviani, Edward, and John Jr. had quite a childhood inside those marble walls. They later recounted stories of playing baseball inside the library using books as bases. The library often hosted dignitaries at lavish parties inside the stunning building. And when Viviani was six, she recited poetry to Queen Marie of Romania in the children's collection. Because they were not allowed to have pets, John Jr. once trapped pigeons on the roof until the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals caught wind of this and requested he free them. Viviani and her friends would slide down the banisters and play hide-and-seek among the library's priceless marble statues while her brothers played war in the basement. And once, a thief was caught trying to steal a rare $10,000 stamp collection from a library display. John Sr. was quite a character, and to prevent his three children from getting into too much mischief in the late-night library, he told his kids, in his distinct Bowery dialect, that the library was haunted by a man killed during construction. Viviani later told the New Yorker magazine that the library is, quote, like a big marble grave at night after the cleaners are gone. The idea that the NYPL is haunted is now quite entrenched in the building's history, and the opening scene of the original Ghostbusters movie pays homage to that belief. Peter? At 1.40 p.m. at the main branch of the New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue, 10 people witnessed a free-floating, full-torso vaporous apparition. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. I'm very excited. I'm very pleased. I want you to get right down there, check it out, and get back to me. No, okay? no. Get right back no, to me. No, Peter, you're coming with us on this one. Spengler went down there. He took PKE valences, went right off the top of the scale, buried the needle. We're close on this one. I can feel it. John Jr. told the New York Times years later, quote, There was some basis for the legend. Ten men died in the nine or ten years it took to build the central library. The reading room ghost was one who had fallen from the scaffolding when they were putting in the reading room ceiling. At least, that's the way Father told it. The elder John Fiedler was also an inventor and worked with Thomas Edison. His workshop in the basement is still there today. He called it his private laboratory. He was known to have, quote, dabbled in plastics long before the word got into the dictionary. The Fiedler children had many friends in the area. Some of them lived in the Algonquin Hotel, some in Rogers Pete department store, this group of friends truly had a unique playground. Viviani lived in the library until she was 15 years old, leaving when she got married. John Jr. took over as the building superintendent from his father, retiring in June 1949. All told, the Fiedlers lived inside the New York Public Library for 38 years. You can read more about the Fiedler family and their adventures inside the New York Public Library in two books about their lives, The Story Collector and its sequel, The Story Seeker. 
And a special thanks to Kristen O'Donnell Tubb for her storytelling. And what a gig. What a beautiful way to grow up. The Reading Room may be my favorite place in all of New York City. I can't tell you how many hours I spent there as a boy. Just love the place. And that Reading Room, well, you're going to read. The story of John Fiedler, the family that lived in the New York Public Library here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country, and especially the stories of America's rich past, know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. And we continue with our American stories. And on this show, we consider it a privilege to honor those who have given their lives in combat for others. And so does Heather McPherson, who is the curator of history at the South Carolina Military Museum. In fact, it's the reason she's at the museum in the first place. Here's Heather to tell us more. So when I was growing up, my mom had um, photos on our piano of her uncles. And I was always interested in this one, like, I want to know his story. His name was Ralph Ferguson, and he served in the 29th Division during World War II and landed on Omaha Beach, first wave, and made it to June 12th um, before he was killed in action. And it was about 12 miles in uh, near the L River. So I grew up kind of hearing bits and pieces of that story. And, you know, throughout, you know, teenage, you get, you get other priorities when you're a teenager and everything. But, you know, I loved history class and stuff like that. But I was kind of, you know, every once in a while, I like, dig into his story a little bit. And then, you know, after college, I really dove into it. There's so much more available on the internet and uh, getting in contact with people and just kind of made it like a side mission of mine to figure out his story. And I just kind of found some sense of purpose trying to tell his story. The family didn't really talk about it. Brothers didn't want to mention him, the mother. And so my grandma grew up not knowing a lot about what happened to him. And same with um, his, his widow, didn't really know a lot. So me being able to piece together his few days you know, in country and what he might have gone through and you know even finding um, mentions of him in books and stuff it was it was just really incredible journey and just got me more interested in other aspects of world war ii and then eventually other military in general yeah i was i actually found a mention of him in one of stephen ambrose's books one of the soldiers under his command he was a second lieutenant in the 29th division he was talking like he, uh, he always felt sorry for, for him because he had to read his, his soldier's mail and censor it. And, and, and he, he knew that he was getting really close to these men after having to censor their mail and that he didn't want to lose any of them. And he, you know, it kind of reminded me of him taking care of his younger brothers and his younger sisters always being the man of the house because he actually lost his father a year before he got deployed. So he was like, I'm torn. I, I, I want to take care of my men, but I know my family needs me at home. And it's just, you know, World War II was... Uh, just an era where so many people stepped up and did what they needed to do. He's writing letters back home, like, you know, his, his mother's learning how to drive for the first time because she doesn't have someone to do that for. And, you know, talking to my grandmother, like, well, haven't you learned how to drive yet, Bertha? And help, help mother, you know, fill the car with gas. And I could just sense, you know, this pull of him wanting to be in two places at once. And uh, there's no telling what he went through on the beaches of Omaha along with so many other of our, our brave men, getting separated from where they were supposed to land and just so much going on. And then leading his men um, across the L River. Um, I've heard a couple little excerpts of, he was probably one of the first ones to kind of go ahead. That's what leaders did. They wanted to keep their men out of, out of harm's way and you know they took the point. Not sure how he got killed. It could have been artillery, it could have been a sniper, but it's one of those things where I started kind of talking about it and, and my, my grandmother started sh sharing stories I'd never heard before. It almost like kind of clicks her memory and like, oh yeah, well he used to, he worked at a drugstore, so he came home smelling like, like coal pills. I don't know what they were putting in those pills, but he, there were these little black pills and they smelled like coal. And 
I was like, well, it is West Virginia, so everything smells like coal. But um, yeah, it's just these little stories of uh, that she didn't even knew she remembered. It's, it's definitely been a journey when you spend that many years researching and really getting to know the person that you've never met. Even my mom said, you know, I, I, I never really met him, but you've, you've almost brought him to life for me. And finally made the, the pilgrimage, if you will, to Normandy in 2019 and got to see his grave. And um, going to see his, his grave site, I was like, why am I getting so emotional about no, someone I've never met? But it's like, I did know him. And being able to share that with with everyone that I was part of the tour with, went with the 29th Division Association. and I was trying to like, I'll just go by myself, but the tour group was going there. So I'm like, well then I, ha I can't just go and not, not go see the gravesite. So I was like, okay, so all these people are now watching this moment that I've been looking forward to for a while. And um, you know, they actually have um, an attendee uh, come with you and you can actually rub sand in, in the yeah, engraved um, part of the, the cross so the, the letters really pop and that actually signifies you know someone who knew this person has, has come to visit it so I've got one person standing behind me and this little tour group looking on and I'm like oh this is awkward but it, it was it just felt like it, the circle was complete like and I eventually had time just to go back by myself and um, kind of say hey Ralph how you doing you know and it's it's it really is like I know him and I think it didn't hit me to like maybe a little bit later, like, okay, yes, take pictures, just make sure. And, you know, I was here, I visited and um, tell everybody like, oh, this is his story. But then later on, I was like, okay, that was a, that was a moment. And yeah, it, it kind of weighs on you after it a little bit. But yeah, that was, that was incredible. I think I was even more impacted when I went to that, the actual river where he passed away because, um, it was on June 6th that we had laid some roses down at one of the memorials. So I had taken that rose and I was like, I'm gonna spread some of the petals in Dale River. I don't know what I was thinking, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. So I did that and um, you know, we were just kind of looking around the river a little bit more and um, let's, let's head down, down a little bit. And those rose petals were there circling. And I was like, well, okay, that's, that's so weird. So we stood there for a little bit and I was like, all right, I guess it's time to go. And then the rose petals left right when I left and I was like, okay, that's something, something's going on here. I don't, I don't, I haven't had really any more experiences like that, but uh, to see those rose petals like waiting on me almost and then leaving as I left, it was almost like Ralph's like, thanks for, for keeping my story alive. I stayed in a bed and breakfast that was literally like two miles from where he was killed. And, and now that family who runs the bed and breakfast, he also has a, a tour group and my great uncle's story gets to be told multiple times throughout the year and his picture is right on the roadside and it's it's just incredible how it how it all turned out. My voice is cracking because of it but I'm trying not to. <laughs> it's hard. It, I mean it's hard and I, I think that's why I love working here is because I, I know how it feels and to you know even yesterday I was talking to one of our, our donors we're going to be showcasing his family at, at one of our displays and he's like I'm just so thankful that you're you're doing this for us because you know, they have the story, but it's almost like they do want to share it. And it's not just for them, like, I, I, well, I want to share what, what these people did. It's like, they want to keep that memory alive. And the more people you tell about it, the more it feels like, you know, well, that person's going to remember that story. And it just keeps, you know, trickling on. These people who are no longer with us have connected so many other people. And, you know, from different states, but also from the United States to France. It's like the, um, the people I stayed with were, one was British, one was Dutch, but now they take care of a marker where my great uncle died from you know, West Virginia. So it's like these stories bring the whole world together and it's out of something so horrible, but out of it comes something so great as you connect people and, and keep these memories alive of good sons and daughters making the ultimate sacrifice and it just connects everyone in the world. So. You almost forget when you're reading stories that these are people and they had families and a lot of people forget about families even serving today um, that they were serving just alongside you know their men and women in uniform so it's it's i that's what pulls me in is the stories and keeping them alive because almost like the more stories i keep alive in the museum that's one more kind of check mark for ralph going good job you know keeping that story alive And a special thanks to Robbie for doing that story, producing it, bringing it to us. And a special thanks to Heather McPherson for telling the story. She's a curator of history 
at the South Carolina Military Museum. And telling stories is what she does. And telling stories of those who've paid, well, a real price so that we can enjoy the inheritance we have here in this country. And it's an inheritance, folks. And we didn't do anything for it, so many of us. And my goodness, what a story she told about her great uncle. And all triggered by those pictures on the top of a piano. Who are those people, she thought. That curiosity drove her. And she got to know Ralph Ferguson. Really got to know him. Never met him. But she really got to know him. The 29th Division in World War II. He stormed Omaha Beach. What a beautiful story about memory. And the power of stories. Heather McPherson's story. Her great-uncle Ralph Ferguson's story here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. 
This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do is that is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with our American stories. And our next story comes to us from Sarah Wells, author of American Honey, A Field Guide to Resisting Temptation. Let's take a listen. I grew up on a farm in the frayed edge of suburbia, I would say. It was an Auburn township, pretty traditional upbringing with a stay-at-home mom and the working-class dad, kind of a pull-yourself-up-from-the-bootstraps type of home life, and that was what I expected the future to look like. I had one degree in mind when I would graduate from college, and that was my MRS. I had dreams of being a writer, of teaching, but it was always in the background uh, that what would really happen is I would meet the man of my dreams and we would live happily ever after. I would stay home and raise my kids just like my mom had done. And so that was the mission that I had coming into high school and into my college career. Always keeping in mind my dad. My dad was this and is somebody that I've always looked up to tremendously. I adored my dad and wanted to be with my dad all the time. And he was kind of my model for the kind of man that I wanted to marry. And so I um, went through, like many girls do, a boy crazy phase where from probably the age of 13 to 21, I had a boyfriend every uh, every month. (laughs) Uh, Long-term boyfriend relationships. And as soon as that one would end, I would start in and find a new one. And uh, I really craved love and adoration. My dad was a hardworking dad. He was always gone early in the morning, working late into the evening. And I think that I craved his attention so much that I had kind of a a gaping hole of desire uh, from a young teenager uh, all the way through to college. Eventually, I met my now husband, Brandon. We met when I was 19, and I was ready to marry him 10 days into dating him. I was certain that he was going to be the one. But I was also certain that every previous boyfriend was going to be the one. (laughs) So (laughs) this isn't actually like amazing information that I had met my uh, husband. And so we dated for... 10 months and got engaged and got married four months later. And after my husband proposed to me, I was rifling through uh, his side dresser drawer looking for receipts for the dinner that we had gone on uh, the night that he was engaged. I was putting together a scrapbook to uh, memorialize our short engagement. And I came across a receipt that I thought was the dinner receipt that turned out to be the receipt for my engagement ring, which looked beautiful. It was shiny and I loved to look at it. I loved everyone who complimented it. And I was like, yes, it is a beautiful ring. Thank you. But it turned out that my ring was not what I thought it was. It turned out to be Uh, on sale at a department store. It was far less than what I thought he had spent on my ring. And these things are things that I didn't think mattered to me. I didn't think that it was a 
big deal to wear expensive rings. I didn't wear expensive jewelry. I was a kind of dirt under your fingernails type of girl. But that mattered. And the need to feel worthy and to be invested in as his future bride mattered to me. It was really hard to get over it. And I wanted to just suck it up and go on and just get married, but I couldn't do it. It was too big of a block to uh, our relationship. And so I confronted him about it and asked him like, or I didn't ask him, I told him, I found the receipt for my ring. And obviously he knew immediately that this was a problem. (laughs) So what I was used to, another expectation that I had growing up was that people didn't really say they're sorry. They would be defensive or redirect blame. And when I confessed to my husband, my fiance at the time, that I had found this receipt, I expected him to be defensive and to uh, make a big deal about it and turn it back on me. And when instead he apologized and asked for forgiveness, I was blown away. Like, oh, this this man is not exactly who I thought he was in a good way. But marriage ended up being a whole lot more work than I expected. And then having babies ended up being a whole lot more work than I expected. It didn't work out just that you got pregnant. It actually turned out that you got pregnant and then didn't get pregnant and miscarried or struggled to get pregnant. I had two miscarriages before we had our first child, our daughter, Lydia. Then I thought, oh, well, this is it. I'm, I'm back on track. I'm happily married. My husband has a job. I'm going to stay home with my daughter, who is beautiful and tiny and cute, and about Six weeks into my maternity leave, I felt like half my brain had fallen out of my head. I couldn't put half of a sentence together anymore. And I called my boss and was like, I have to come back to work. I don't know who I am. and I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, And I was 24 at the time. And all of this turned into this early 20s, late 20s, a season of thinking that I was one type of person and discovering that I was actually a whole other kind of person. I learned that I looked up to my dad, not because that was maybe the type of guy I wanted to marry, but the kind of person that I was. I was a hardworking person. I loved to invest all of myself into a team of people or into projects and that kind of thing. And my husband ended up being the stay-at-home parent and being the one who was raising our children, which was shocking to everyone (laughs) involved, including us, myself and my husband. I knew that things at home when I took my full-time job were not great for my husband. He wasn't enjoying being a stay-at-home dad nearly as much as he thought he might. But I didn't have a real good picture until one morning we were dancing around each other in the kitchen, getting breakfast ready. I was in my pantsuit with my travel mug and my phone and my purse and was ready to walk out the door to the job that I loved and that I felt like suddenly I was made for. And my husband was in his warm-up pants and an untucked t-shirt and he was not shaven for the last however many days, who knows. And our daughter is screaming in the high chair and my infant son is wailing in the rocker and I go to pass my husband on the way out of the kitchen and say goodbye I'll see you at lunch and he slams the kitchen cabinet and turns to me and screams I hate my life and you've been listening to Sarah Wells tell the story of her life and ultimately her family life well we're going to find out how that ends and how that works when we come back with Sarah Wells' story, her book, 
American Honey, a field guide to resisting temptation. Her story, her husband's, continues here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Our American Stories and author Sarah Wells, her memoir, American Honey, A Field Guide to Resisting Temptation. 
when we last left off, her husband was expressing some discontent with being a stay-at-home dad. Let's pick up where we last left off. I hate my life. And I'm like, what? (laughs) It felt completely out of the blue. And I didn't know what to say because I was so shocked that the life that I felt like we were was it kind of a dream life and because I had everything I wanted. I had the husband, I had a job, I had children. I couldn't see how he couldn't see the beauty of our life. He was struggling to find work. Um, we found a church community and started to build friendships and that helped. We started to go on dates on a weekly basis to try to stay connected in that way. But what he really needed was to find another outlet and um, a work outlet. The stay-at-home parent thing wasn't working for him. Uh, he eventually found work and was and began working as a contractor for ESPN and Fox and started working on the road. Sometimes I would get to go with him, and it was heaven. We would we went to dinner. We would. Uh, go out dancing and sing karaoke and do all of these things that we loved together and made each other laugh. And then we would come home and reality would sink back in. Uh, he would go back on the road by himself and I would go back to work by myself. And in the midst of all of that, other people became very important to me. My friends became very important to me, but also conversations with other people became really important. And I was I blindsided by a developing friendship with a friend who was a man, and we totally hit it off. I was in a writing community, and he shared a lot of the same interests, and we just really connected. He was funny. We started texting a lot, and suddenly we were texting a whole lot. And all of a sudden, I realized how much I was sharing of my life with this stranger out of the kind of out of the blue and not with my husband. One day I had been texting with this person on and off throughout the day, uh, felt really uneasy about it and told my husband, hey, I'm going to run over to my friend's house for a little bit. And I was telling her about this relationship. And she said, Sarah, have you said goodnight to him? And my, the color drained out of my face. And I realized, yes, I just wished him goodnight like 15 minutes ago. And she's like, oh, that's a bad sign. And she said, you need to end it. And you need to tell your husband. And i like, what are you talking about? None of these things. This isn't a big deal. <laughs> this is so not a big deal. And I told her, I, I don't think I can do that. And she's like, well, if you don't do that, this will just keep happening. Where you will find yourself drawn to someone else who is saying all the right things. But is the wrong person. And so I did, I told my husband what was happening and we had kind of a fight about it. He felt bad. And then we continued on with our regular life. So after nine years of being married to Brandon, we had three children. We'd had four miscarriages. We had three dogs. Uh, We had bought a house together. We had sold a house together. We had refinished a house together. We had invested so much of ourselves into our shared life. And we had, on top of all of that, decided to change our diets. And suddenly I was feeling fit and fine and healthy and not pregnant. For the first time in nine years, <laughs> I was myself. And this created other attention that I didn't anticipate from other people besides my husband. So at one evening event, I was having a great conversation with my colleague and he was 
starting to go through a divorce or thinking about getting a divorce. And I just felt really bad for him because my marriage was great and I didn't want them to separate. And so I found myself having to make a conscious choice whether to destroy my life or preserve my life. I never, air quote, I never did anything. Nothing ever happened. But the emotional energy and the mental energy of washing my daughter's hair in the tub and only thinking about whether he was going to text me that night or whether he was going to send me an email that said something inappropriate in it and how would I handle that. It came to another head and there was another moment where uh, I was in the car with my colleague and he was started rubbing my back and we were in my driveway. Um, my husband wasn't home, my children weren't home, and it was time for me to get out of the car. Here's that intersection, here's the opportunity. Either you destroy your relationship with your the rest of your life, or you get out of the car. And I felt this, I heard this voice say, Sarah, get out of the car now. And it was not audible, obviously but <laughs> I heard it and I said, I have to get out of this car. So I swung the door open. I said, good night. Thank you for bringing me home <laughs> and slammed the door and walked into the house. And as I walked through the door, the light from his headlights scanned across my wedding picture that was hanging on the wall. And I felt this weight lift off of me like, freedom. You are no longer enslaved by this thing. You don't have like you don't have to resist this anymore. It's done. It's over. This will never be a thing again. And I felt strong and ready to face whatever was going to come next with my husband, which ended up being doing a lot of confessing <laughs> and having a lot of conversations where we're standing in the middle of the kitchen together, holding each other, crying. I'm apologizing. It's like, I forgive you for whatever it is that you feel like you need to be forgiven for. Um, and that's the man that I married. And that's the foundation that carried us through into healing, into rebuilding trust, and into um, being able to confide in each other about everything. To celebrate our 10th anniversary, we headed out of town for one of Brandon's work weekends. Right before heading out to dinner, he said, I have something for you that I think you should wear to dinner. And I felt embarrassed about this because it's been 10 years and I love my wedding ring. It's pretty. I'm over the receipt. We're fine now, you know. And this investment in a real diamond ring and a real engagement ring felt extravagant. And so Brandon opened up this case and it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful ring. And then he said, I have something else for you. And uh, handed me an envelope and inside was the lyrics to a song that he had started to write for me. And I started bawling. It was so touching to me to have him think about what our marriage meant to him and what our relationship was about. Um, it was, it far exceeded the price of any engagement ring. The engagement ring ended up being a real bonus, of course, because <laughs> now I have it on my finger all the time. But the real gift of having this start of a song that he had composed for me touched me far deeper than any engagement ring could ever have reached. And an excellent job by Greg on the production on the piece and the storytelling editing. And a special thanks to Sarah Wells for sharing her story with all of us and her story of her bouts with temptation. And her book is American Honey, A Field Guide to Resisting Temptation 
Go to your local bookstore or wherever you get your books to get it. And there's that critical moment where she says something so important. I was no longer enslaved by this thing. And the enslavement was not her marriage. The marriage gave her freedom. It's the temptation that enslaved her. That's a deep Christian notion, but you don't have to be a Christian who have experienced this notion. The story of a marriage in the end and what saved it. Sarah Wells' story, her husband's too, here on Our American Stories. Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.